On today's show, our special guest is Josh Wolf, sales manager for Thurston Wolf Winery. We have info on new ownerships, kind of changes in concept, a vegetarian closure, and a reminder about a truly fun culinary event. As far as September goes, well, listen up for all the things you can and should be doing. It's all coming up on the Seattle Dining Show. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Petra Mediterranean Bistro. Take a journey to Greece, Lebanon, Jordan, and the North Shore of Africa by way of Belltown as you dine in a welcoming atmosphere and experience the hospitality that Chef Call provides. Need a quick bite? Drop into the attached cafe or shop for authentic flavors in the adjoining store. Visit PetraBistro.com for more information. Hi, this is Holly Smith from Cafe Juanita. Welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the July Seattle Dining Show, number 1909. I'm Connie Adams, Senior Editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, publisher and owner of Seattle Dining. Good day, all. Good day, all. No triple hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Do I hear echo? <laughs> well, you know, we always start the show out with a monthly discussion, and um, it's usually something we're interested in. Sometimes it veers off into a rant, and I believe that's where we're going today, as we should, because it's all about corn. And I love corn in so many ways, but corn is not what it used to be, and I'm just going to let Tom take it away. Well, when we think of corn, of course, on a dining show, we're thinking of the corn that we eat. Mm -hmm. The truth is, uh, only about 8% of the corn grown in America is actually eaten by humans. Isn't that amazing? (coughs) We have a giant industry that does quite a bit of environmental damage to our country. It does uh, extensive amount of health damage to humans as well as to um, livestock. Uh, it does an uh, incredible amount of environmental damage down in the Gulf of Mexico. Now, how does this lovely little corn... Do all this damage. So here's how it works. Um, I'm just going to give you a little breakdown. You can see this on Wikipedia if you want to. Um, like I said, 8% eaten by humans, uh, 10% used by distillers for ah, grains. Yeah. Well, that's not such a that's bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Okay, 33% used as livestock feed. Mm. Now, um, what people don't, you know, we never have this discussion, so people don't know that um, when they talk about corn-fed cattle, Mm -hmm. cows aren't actually designed to eat corn. In fact, their body rejects it. So when they're raising uh, beef cattle, um, they feed them corn, and and, uh, the cows can't accept it. It takes them about six weeks for their digestive system to start Mm. to accept corn. But toward the end of their life, uh, they get a disease in their liver. And so... Eating that corn that they're uh-huh. not designed to eat. Right, right. And so then that's when uh, all the antibiotics go into the grain feed. And uh, not a good thing. 
Now, if you're eating grass-fed beef, more power to you because uh, that's the way a, a cow is made to grow. Yeah. And it's a safer way for you to eat the, the cow than if it was grain-fed. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, it's not contributing nearly as much methane to the air because uh, regular grass uh, doesn't create the kind of methane that they get out of corn. Now, is one of the arguments that it would take so much land to graze cows for the amount of beef we eat? Yeah, well, that's, that's true. It takes a little more land. But here's what we've done. We've torn up all the grassland and turned them into cornfields. And <laughs> so you know we what we got corn. when we did that? Dust bowl. The dust bowl. Yeah. So we'd all be healthier now. You know, we don't have to eat as much beef in this country as we do. Mm-hmm. We don't need the Burger Kings and the McDonald's prophesizing beef all the time. So if we backed off on our beef consumption, we wouldn't need to worry about if we converted all those cornfields back to grassland. There would be enough room. Yeah. And, uh, you know, grass-fed beef, pretty good for you. It's got omega-3 in it. Yeah. Skip the salmon on Friday night, you know, the fish Friday <laughs> thing. Just go to the beef no. Friday and go for, for grass-fed beef. You're supposed to eat salmon. That's good for you. Uh, 11% of corn is used to make high fructose corn syrup and other starchy sweeteners. Wow, 11%. And we know that high fructose corn syrup is a major leader in the cause of diabetes. So if we could get people to get off of that, and and what was it, uh, 8% more likely to get addicted to high fructose corn syrup than heroin? Sugar, it's sugar is 8%. Times as addictive as cocaine. Okay, that's what it is. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, get off sugar and cut back on beef, or just eat grass-fed beef, and boy, you'd be a lot better off. Yeah. Now, now think about this. Our, our government loves to subsidize things, mm-hmm. and so um, we subsidize all the corn farmers. And why do we do that? I'm not actually sure, but oh. I think it's because when they have an overage or the market goes kooky. Uh, they kind of have a little parachute. Yeah. Um, but we do subsidize them, and we give them tax breaks for growing corn. So, you know, if you look at your tax form every year, you know, it always says, did you have an agricultural contribution? Yeah. And you got all these write-offs, right? Yeah. So, so that's subsidizing right there. Well, what else do we subsidize? We subsidize Medicare. We subsidize the National Health uh, Act, mm-hmm. Health Care Act. And so we're like uh, paying the farmers to grow the car- corn. That make us sick. To, yeah, full of omega-6, which actually uh, causes plaque to form in your arteries and is also a contributor to heart disease. Um, so we're, 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 we're paying, we're subsidizing them to do that, and then we're causing people to get diabetes. And then on the back end, we're paying for them to go to the hospital. So, so the U.S. government is just paying for all this on every side. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible thing that's happening. But I think one thing, unless you said this and I missed it, the, the problem is that corn is no longer corn. It is a chemically altered Absolutely. thing. So we're not eating Because the majority of corn. corn grown in this country is a GMO corn. Yeah, so we're not, we're not eating. Giant Monsanto outrage. Yeah. Oh, no, it's a genetically modified organism. <laughs> 
But that's that's the biggest problem. It's not like corn itself is so bad. You can eat organic corn and it's good. Yeah, you can get your, you know, I have no problem. You want to go get some organic corn at, you know, Central or PCC or mm-hmm. wherever and have it on the barbecue over Labor Day weekend, go for it. Oh. But just understand what a monster this industry is. It's filled with lobbyists. Like the sugar lobby. It's too. filled with, with all, every state pretty much has its own little corn growers association. Mm-hmm. And they'll all speak up and yipe if they don't get their subsidies or whatever. Like right now, they're, they're yiping because they're not getting their subsidies out of the U.S. government that they were promised by the Trump administration. So, um, it's 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 a monster. If we yeah. could uh, take ninety percent of that and turn it back into grassland, yeah. we'd be a lot better off. Now, here's another thing. Let's talk about ethanol. We put yes. it in our fuel. Ten percent of our me. fuel has corn water in it. You know what happens when you put corn water in your fuel? Yeah, get ten percent less fuel efficiency, and because it's not an efficient burning item and wasn't that a government thing too they started having supporting that so that the corn farmers had some place to put yeah, their corn they say it creates you know thousands of jobs like four hundred thousand jobs a year oh. well okay so you get a little tack you get a little break on your fuel at the gas station because it has ethanol in it but you're not really getting a break because you're not getting any better fuel you gotta mileage. fill up more often now just as a test, if anybody listening wants to try this out, go to the gas station that sells 100% non-ethanol fuel. Mm-hmm. You can usually find this wherever there's a boat launch. Oh. Um, and put a tank in your car, and you're going to pay more money. But watch what happens to your fuel economy. You know what? I'm, I'm seeing the similarity between fueling your vehicles appropriately and fueling your body appropriately. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah. Uh, okay, also, uh, what's one of the best fertilizers for corn is nitrogen. And what happens when you bunch of, dump a bunch of nitrogen on the soil? It all runs off. It mm. goes down to the creek. The creek goes to the stream. The stream goes to the river. The river flows out. 31 states contribute to the water in the Mississippi River. At the end of the Mississippi River is the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico currently has a 70 cubic mile dead zone in it right now. Because of what we're putting in the water. So we put all that nitrogen in the water, the plankton eat it, they die, and when they go to the bottom, they release all of this uh, decomposition that eats up all the oxygen in the water, and the fish won't go there. Mm. So it's a dead zone because it's low on oxygen. So, uh, you know, if you love blue crab, if you love whatever swims around down there in the Gulf of Mexico, the prawns and all that, it's a problem for those farmers because they can't maintain their stocks. And they have no control over what's coming in. Right. We don't have a control on it. So if we had more grassland, less nitrogen, less corn, we'd have a healthier country. We have a monster on our hands right now. Yeah, man, is there are there are there things you can do? I mean, should people be writing their congressman or? You could do that. You could uh, boycott corn. Yeah, that's true. As much as possible. Although you know, if only eight percent of it's being consumed by humans, that's not gonna. Well, you could also boycott red meat that's not grass fed. Yeah, that would be thirty-three percent. 
of yeah. of the corn grown is for livestock. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a little tough if you wanted to try to boycott ethanol, but you could yeah. uh, if you had the right gas station nearby. Yeah, uh, and you were willing to pay more money. But understand, you'll get better fuel economy when you do. Um, you could boycott hard liquor that's made with corn. Yeah. Potato vodka. There you go. There you go. More potato vodka. More potato vodka. You know, one thing, too, and I realize that I'm um, right in the middle of being um, ridiculous, but I'm not a vegetarian. I love eating beef, but I don't like it that animals are mistreated. So to feed an animal of a food like corn, yeah, that they're and knowing not, that that animal's going to get a disease in its body. Well, getting the disease is bad enough, but I mean, first six weeks at least, they're probably in pain. That's not, mm-hmm. you know, why do we do this to animals if we're going to eat them? You know, just raise them humanely. Exactly. So, and that's a humane way to eat is yeah. is grass fed. Well, what's happened to us? The, you know, all the diabetes, all the obesity and everything, that's because we eat inappropriately. Mm-hmm. This is what happens when you don't eat like we're, we're meant to eat. If you take this little conversation and you think about if we took all that corn away, how, how much better would, would, our, would our country be? How much better could the world be if they cut down all the corn yeah. consumption too? So. Yeah. Anyways, that's my rant for the month. Well, that's quite something. And I think it's um, really worth people thinking about. And deciding how they want to ignore it or not, I think. Um, and don't it's worry, just a we huge... could still make corn chips if we only grew that eight yes. percent. So your Mexican yes. food, your corn flour, it'd be all intact. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, all right, that's what we're ranting about this month, and we're passionate. <laughs> we're passionate about the corn issue and the sugar issue we talked about last month. That's still eating at me, if you will. <laughs> all right, so we want to take a little break. Uh, no, I want to uh, oh, talk about talk where about... we've been eating. All right, then. You want to jump in first? Um, okay. Uh, let's see. I had uh, – you and I went to uh, Hearth at the Heathman Hotel. Yeah. This is the newer restaurant. That took over Trellis. Yeah. Yeah, it took over Trellis. And uh, I was I was uh, kind of out of it with my arm in a sling. How, how yeah. did we do there? We did fine there. <laughs> you might not remember it, although you never did really get into the pain pills, so you were you were mentally acute. No, I just had had ibuprofen and yeah. a cocktail. Yeah, actually, we we had a uh, tomato salad at the bar, and then we went out and had dinner, and it was um, we were pretty happy with it. Oh yeah, that was that burrata tomato salad. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah, that was very nice. And you know they've got quite a bar program too. And they've got a thing, I believe it changes weekly, where they try a certain spirit. And so you can get it in small amounts. So sometimes it's really pricey stuff, but mm-hmm. you can try it and see what you like. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a fun bar program they have. And we ate out on the patio. And the Heathman's patio out there on the sidewalk is really nice. Yeah. You know, and they, nice. they put, um, in, in cooler months, they put down the clear plastic so you oh, really yeah. can see it's very clear. It's like a window, but you can use that patio year-round because they have heat warmers and stuff in there. And we did a, a, a stay-over, so our room was very nice. Yeah, that the, was really room, nice. I guess they went in and remodeled a bunch of the rooms, huh? Yeah, all the rooms have been remodeled. They um, added uh, a uh, room, of an event room mm-hmm. on the first floor, on the, on the main floor, 
And then they took out the spa, which I thought was an interesting decision. They had a, a full spa there, and they took it out, and mm-hmm. they, they moved the, um, uh, the, the fitness place, the gym, yeah. down into where the spa was. And where the fitness was is what is that new event space. So what they did was expand their event space and get rid of the spa, basically. And, and you know, it's a reasonable thing, actually. They said there are a lot of really good spa facilities within walking distance of the hotel. Oh, okay. So, so why are we trying to... a lot of competition. Yeah, why recreate the wheel, you know, when there's people doing it really well nearby? And, and then we'll offer the event space because a lot of companies come in, and so that's better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we had a nice time there. Uh, another place I went was uh, McMinimums in Kalama. Yes, and um, I only had we only had dinner there. We weren't right. willing to eat their white flour pancakes in the morning. <laughs> their special breakfast. But um, I think the food we had it wasn't too bad. Yeah, they they they, they had a little bit better stuff on the menu than I've seen in the past. They had a hummus plate mm-hmm. and uh, uh, what else? Did yeah, we rice eat? bowls. Rice bowls, yeah. Yeah, which was kind of interesting. I didn't eat much of the rice, but I ate yeah. what was in the bowl otherwise. Well, ironically, and, and those of you know, who know Tom will, will appreciate this, He's, he orders, I'd like the rice bowl, and if you could hold the rice, that would be great. And then they brought it with and the rice. And they brought it anyway, but, um, <laughs> but it's, you know, I'd like a rice bowl without rice. Yeah. So. Um, I think they've been listening to our show because I've noticed their food quality getting a little bit better here and there. And yeah. you said that Tacoma was pretty good. Tacoma so. was pretty good. And they, and they, again, did something different down there. Like Kalama is doing a tiki thing. So they have Mai Tais in the bar oh, and yeah. things like that. And then um, Tacoma actually has a tapas bar. So they're doing some Spanish tapas. I'm waiting for them to have a topless bar. Yeah, that's not going to happen. It's a family thing. Oh. Honestly. <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, we and we often say we're not wild about McMenamin's food, but you know we've had two experiences recently where they were stepping up. So the room was really nice. We had a view of the Columbia River, and they put blankets. You know, like you get blankets if they've got an outdoor seating at a restaurant. They put blankets in the room. So yeah. when the sun goes down, it's a little cool. You can still go out and sit on the on your deck and wrap up. But that was very nice. And then we found out there was several secret rooms. Secret rooms. I kept and, hearing people talk about it. And here's the tip. The, it may seem like there's two secret rooms, but there's actually three. Yes. You have to find the third one after you find the first two. I, uh, I heard the bartender at the, in the cloud bar up on the fourth floor, the top floor, tell somebody, several people, he probably gets so tired of saying it. He's, there's a room within a room. There's a room within a room. So, ah, okay. So that's how, why I knew about it. The one thing that I I kind of wasn't crazy about was what you said, the cloud bar. Yeah. And, you know, when we go down to... Um, McMinnville. McMinnville. They've got that beautiful rooftop bar that you can actually go out on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. That is I, I was cool. kind of hoping for at least something like that or maybe even some skylights or something yeah. so when it's raining you can see the rain pounding on the rooftop yeah. but I uh, didn't do yeah. that. There is an outside deck but um, like it was beautiful weather when we were there but honestly it just was beating on that deck. You'd have to love being really hot and be really 
you know, sunscreened up and hats and long sleeves, yeah. and it was really hot out there. I wasn't going out for that. Uh, yeah. Tell us about the Paragon. The Paragon, as you probably all know, has new owners. So um, we had gone to the friends and family thing and, and tried some things out, and then we went back last night, and um, we're, we're really pleased with what they have on the menu, and it is the same chef, Chef Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is getting a little freer hand, I think, in terms of what he can do in the kitchen. But they have some things like they have a kale, peach, avocado salad on the menu. And I think it had some grain in it. So, you know, they're doing some things that are a little bit healthier. They've got a chicken piccata, and we had tried that at the friends and family thing, and it was quite good, I thought. And mm-hmm. they, had, they had a burrata tomato salad that was killer. Oh, yeah. And that day they had purchase the tomatoes at a farmer's market. I don't know that they can keep that up all the time, but man, those tomatoes were just delicious. Yeah. And their burrata was lovely. Well, you know, it is tomato season. I see all these people putting pictures on the internet of all the tomatoes they're growing at home and harvesting and all that. And I I wonder, you know, can't you greenhouse some of these really nice tomatoes, some of these big plump tomatoes? Do we always have to greenhouse just little round romas and stuff like that? I would think, I mean, you can buy um, hothouse tomatoes Tomatoes, regular round red tomatoes, right at the store. So I'm sure they can do any of them. I don't know. Yeah. But it's just you know, organic, grown in the fresh air, you know, in good soil, tastes different. I could pump fresh air into a greenhouse. Come on, <laughs> and I not even put nitrogen in there. I just put the fresh air and it grow. Well, and here's a little uh, connection to McMenamins too. They've put up a painting at the Paragon over the fireplace. It's actually a painting of uh, Kim, the owner's dad, um, dressed very unlike he would ever be dressed. And he's sort of magically putting a hamburger together. But the hamburger is about a foot long and all the ingredients are uh, separated, in hanging in the air. And it looks like it came out of McMenamins. Looks like a, a McMenamins painting. Yeah. So there you have that connection. All right. We're going to have to take a break. All so right. we'll do that and we'll be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Queen Anne Olive Oil. Explore their huge selection of flavor-infused olive oils and balsamics. Mix and match to create some unique taste treats. Take a field trip soon to the top of Queen Anne and experience oils and vinegars in a whole new way. Find more information at QueenAnnOliveOil.com. Hi, I'm Emma from Seattle, and my favorite restaurant is Edda's on the waterfront. Their salmon is unbeatable. I love Armstrong Winery in Woodenville, and I'm a fan of Basil Cellars. Hi, this is Chef Lainey Carey from the Fig and the Judge restaurant in downtown Seattle, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. Yes, we are. We're Section 2, the News Bites section. Not that we're linear people, but Section 2 is coming up. Uh, yeah. After Section 1. So um, so what's, what's going on out there in food land? A lot of stuff happening. Um, if you are aware of Bainbridge at all, there's a place called the Earthen Vine Wine Bar 
that has become kind of a community spot in the Pleasant Village. And the owners have decided to leave it to Pleasant Village because they are going to move on to open a small inn in White Salmon, Washington, in the Columbia Gorge. And you actually checked something out because we yep. were curious. That got me thinking, now what, what inn in White Salmon, since we know David and his wife and son who own the Inn of the White Salmon, mm-hmm. uh, as well as their partners, whose names escape me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I called down and I talked to Matt, and he said, uh, don't know anything about what you're talking about. We haven't sold the, the business. So mm-hmm. this is some other, other inn in White Salmon. And as you mentioned, there are some other B&Bs and stuff, so we don't know if they're taking over something or if they're going to start something new. Yeah. We do not know. But anyway, so so if you love Earth and Vine Wine Bar, it's not going away, but you could love something else in the Columbia Gorge. And there's a lot to love down there. Oh, yeah. So Walla Walla, for the third year, the Walla Walla Valley Wine um, is doing W. I don't know how you should, I, I think it's just pronounced Wander Walla Walla. But it's, but it's W-W-A-N-D-E-R, W-W-A-N-D-E-R yeah. huh? How about, how about just call it Wander Wander? Wander Wander. Wander Wander Walla Walla. Wander Wander. So it runs from October 3rd to December 5th, Thursdays through Sundays. And what the deal is, is that they do curated winemaker itineraries. So you can go out and say, oh, I'd like to do this winery, and I'd like to know more about... Uh, this spot or this restaurant, and you can pick the itinerary that that is interesting to you, and then you, um, when you uh, register for that, you get discounts either on bottle buys or discounts at restaurants or whatever. Um, and it's just a fun thing to do. It's a pay as you go. You don't have to pay to register. It just lets them know how many people are coming, and then you get more familiar with Walla Walla, which we have done and really enjoyed it, and then have some wine and. Enjoy the city. Wander around. Wander, wander. Wander, wander. Kind of a fun thing. <laughs> um, sizzle pie, and, and you will not be surprised that I don't know much about this because they did vegan pizzas, but it's a Portland thing, and they came up, opened sizzle pie and a place called Dark Bar, but they called it quits at the end of August. And yet another uh, business blaming it on the cost of doing business in Seattle. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, you know what? It is expensive to do business here. It's expensive to live here. It's like none of us are fighting that, but um, right. other people manage to succeed. So either, you know, it's a concept thing that just didn't work, and, you know, five years from now it could go gangbusters. Where Who was knows? the sizzle? Up on Capitol Hill. Never even heard about it. No, I didn't know about Get a PR either. agency, will you? We need yeah. to know about your new business. Exactly. Your year-old business that's failing. Um, Marcus Charles, you may remember him because we did a whole story on him. He's an interesting guy, and he has done a lot of stuff, including Crocodile Cafe. He's the one who took over Mama's mm-hmm. Mexican and called it Mama's Cantina to keep it going. He has now founded Clean, and that's C-L-E-E-N, Craft, and it's, I'm not going to say this right, a cannabidial, cannabidial infused drink company and has opened a tasting room with cocktails and mocktails in Belltown on 2nd. So this is beverages. These are beverages made with cannabis, but they're THC-free. So don't think you're going to go down and get high while you're drinking. You so might we're not actually sure what, what the benefits are of that. You know, I don't know anything about that. I'm assuming, you know, right now cannabis is like, it is 
the wonder drug. Yeah, I think I'm going to rub some on my forehead and grow my hair back. Hey, do that. A little CBD oil right up on the forehead. But you know what? Do the rest of it, too. I don't want one patch growing out the... You well, may I just do one side and we can tell if it's working or not? Yeah. No. I don't know. So, I'm you know, a little that worried. That CBD oil, boy, that fixes everything. I'm going to start running in my car. You know, somebody said, and I don't know if it was about cannabis or something else, somebody we were talking to said, anytime a drug or anything comes out and it answers every question and every disease, yeah. and everything, there's a problem. It's well, not, nothing's perfect. I was told by a doctor the other day that I could go ahead and slip some of that under my tongue instead of using uh, aspirin or Advil yeah. or whatever. And I said, yeah, but, but what is the scientific research on it? Is it safer or, or less safe than using aspirin or, yeah. uh, God forbid, Tylenol? And the doctor told me, we don't actually know yet. Yeah. I'm like, well, what, what am I supposed to be, the guinea pig yeah. here? Come Why on Why don't you now. do some studies and get back to me? Yeah. I don't think so. Um, I have been using CBD oil for my back, and that does seem to, or cream, and that does seem to be helping. So, you know, you don't know. And, and like any, anything, it may help some people in some situations and not in other situations or not that person at all. You just got to try stuff out and see what works for you. I think I'll just wait for the research to roll in. When yeah, but it finally, I mean, I'm sure somebody's funding up all the research. Oh, you think so? But I mean, even if they come out and say it's going to be perfect, it won't work on some people. I'm just like some surprised drugs. The FDA is letting it run as rampant as it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next thing I would like to mention is that the Burke Museum, the new Burke Museum, is opening in October, and when they open. Off the Res, which is Seattle's first and only native food truck, will be the cafe in there. So they're going to be doing some of their signature things like the fry bread and Indian tacos, but they're also doing some indigenous and pre-colonial food. And then they've got normal stuff like coffee and breakfast because it will be open 8 to 6 p.m. seven days a week. So, In order for that to be officially indigenous and pre-colonial, it will need to be made with non-GMO mm. corn, everybody. Come on now. I'll bet you that doesn't happen. But Off the Res is also planning another brick-and-mortar location, so that's kind of cool. I wonder how many people actually make it through the show before they get fed up with me complaining about you know, non-grass-fed, <laughs> non-GMO, all that. Well, we do have a lot fewer friends. I've noticed that. We don't get asked out much anymore. But, you know, I'm sure that's we nothing do. to do. I'm we kidding. Do. We do. I'm kidding. Um, Airtage Resort just got another, uh, uh, what am I trying to say, award. Well, recognition. Recognition. Thank you. Because I'm getting old and I lose words. Um, Sunset Magazine's 2019 Travel Awards, and this is something put together by the editorial team, selected Heritage as a finalist in their 2019 Travel Awards, which is really cool. Because yeah. that's a lot of, they look at a lot of places. Yeah. So. Then the, the, the sad moment for vegetarians, Silence Heart Nest in Fremont closed. They were open as a restaurant for 33 years. Never heard of them. Oh, no. no. Where was it? They, well, they're right by, uh, or maybe they took over where Fisherman, what was that, Fisherman's Daughter or uh-huh. something? Over that was there. 33 years? They were someplace else. Silence Heart Nest, I think, might have been in the U District or something, and they moved to Fremont, but they've been, they've been an operating restaurant for 33 years. The Longshoreman's Daughter yeah. was the name of the restaurant yeah. before that. 
I it, it's it's in that area. I don't know if it's the restaurant or not, but I, I, I was I'm surprised you don't know that one. That's that's been a vegetarian. Well, I tend yeah. to steer clear of vegetarian restaurants because I like my protein. Yeah, that's true. So another kind of concept change, sort of, that seems interesting to me is the five spot on Queen Anne, which has also been there for how many years? I don't know. But they have gone breakfast and lunch only. They're no longer doing dinner. That's interesting. Yeah, because they got the full bar and the counter in there, and, and you know, you know, uh, I'll tell you what else is interesting because we were talking about the Paragon, and as since it's reopened, uh, the hours are kind of wonky. Um, yeah, they used to do lunch; they don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't open until four thirty, and you can only get happy hour between four thirty and six, and they won't they let you order dinner until six p.m. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I wonder how long that's going to go on. We were, I like to eat dinner at five sometimes. Yeah. Well, you know what? One of the other things that is coming out diet-wise and people are trying, everybody's trying to be healthy, one of the things people are saying is you don't really need to do this uh, off and on fasting if you just eat all your meals within 12-hour period, 10 to 12-hour period. 16. No. This is, I'm telling you something different. Oh. You got between a new one a, for me, huh? Yeah, between 10 and 12 hours, like 8 to 8, mm-hmm. you know, or 8 to 6, you're going to be better off and you don't really need to do the intermittent fasting because you're kind of fasting every day for certain yeah. hours. So um, that kind of cuts out. If you can't get dinner till 6 and 6 is your cutoff point or something, you know. I mean, you, they've got a bar menu, but it's it's more very casual and carby and, you know. Yeah, it's not the kind of thing I would Yeah, you don't want to eat that dig all Dig into very deep when I'm trying to... Lose a little bit of weight. Yeah. Or maintain my weight. Yeah. So, interesting. I don't, and they didn't do much morning. They just sort of said, oh, by the way, today we're going to stop serving dinner. Hmm. Um, Iron Chef Masaharu Morimoto is opening a ramen shop in the ID. We may have uh, talked about this before. They have a, a month now. They're doing it opening in September. It's on Fifth Avenue near King Street Station. He's got a couple of these. One's in uh, Honolulu, I think, and one's someplace else. Um, and it's sort of the food of his childhood. So that's hmm. kind of a big deal that he's picking Seattle. See, I'm not much, I'm not much of a ramen guy because I don't want all those carbs. And you don't, the, the noodles is not a big thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know what? There's a lot of ramen eaters, and I, I like it, but I bet I have ramen once a four, four or five months. You know, so it's, it's. I used to have it when I was young, like yes. when I was when I first moved out. You know, I was like eighteen years old. But you know what? Top ramen and this kind of ramen so different. And then I have those little hot pockets on the other night. Yeah, I kind of switch back and forth. I have a ramen for dinner one night, <laughs> and then some hot pockets <laughs> on the other night, and I go back to the ramen. <laughs> when you're poor, mm. you know, you make do with. I always went for the. Uh, Potato flakes and made fake mashed potatoes. And don't think that had anything to do with my blood pressure going up. Oh, no. Come on now. Or All your... that sodium in there. Yeah. You remember those little packets? Oh, yeah. Or the oh, yeah. yellow that's powder only... that came out? That's the only oh. reason it tasted good. It was all sodium. So good. God. You know, I always laugh. We, we saw somebody recently who's quite thin, and they eat horribly. And they're like, you know, I just don't have a problem. I'm like 37, and I just don't have a problem. And it's like, yeah. Me too, and now I have a problem. Mm-hmm. You, I've been thin all my life, and now you can't drop five pounds without you know killing yourself. So it does creep up on you. Yep. So my last thing I want to talk about, and I'm very excited about this one, 
We did a big uh, article on Chef Raymond Southern and Holly Southern, his wife who does marketing. They were doing a bang-up job at Rosario, but they moved on, which we talked about. And the reason they moved on is because they're on a lease-to-buy deal for the former Kingfish Inn. They're calling it Kingfish at West Sound. Um, so it's on Orcas Island, looks over the West Sound waters. Um, the inn portion has been running. There's four rooms there, and, and that's been going, but the restaurant's been closed forever. So Raymond's getting that open October 1st, and uh, they will have their own own business because they moved to Orcas and lived there, and they love it. Yeah. So They're kind of committed to the island. They are. So uh, uh, give us a call, guys. Set a date. We'll be over. We'll check it out. <laughs> I've mentioned it to him. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, that was the last one. Let's yeah. uh, let's do a little break, and when we come back, we've got a big, fat calendar for September. Yeah. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Esquin Wine and Spirits. Drop by and check out one of the widest inventories of wines from around the world, as well as local and international spirits, all procured by their expert staff. Is your wine collection ready for a new home? Esquin offers monthly wine store storage lockers in a temperature-controlled environment. Visit their website at madwine.com today. Hi, my name is Leslie. I'm from Edmonds. My favorite restaurant in Edmonds is Bar Dojo. Their avocado tempura is delicious. Hello, this is Jeff Peter from Vin Crew USA, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. are back on the Seattle Dining Show, and uh, we're moving into the calendar. Uh, we put new calendar items up all the time on the online magazine, and you can see that anytime you want. It costs you nothing. You just go to seattledining.com, click on the calendar link, and you're there. So uh, as we run through the items here on the calendar, we'll give you some details, but there's typically there's more details online. And uh, so if you hear something you want to check out more, just jump online, go read about it, and there will be a link there to take you to where the event information is directly on the web. There you go. That's the way to do it. Yeah, that's it. That's the thing. That's rocket science. <laughs> All right. Saturday, September 7th, Avenia, the winery, is having, I cannot believe this, their 10th harvest party slash concert slash wine release. Um, They decided to throw a little party since it's their 10th. So it's $40. It's going to be at their winery production facility in Woodenville, not at the tasting room. So be aware of that. It's noon to 4, doing a barbecue meal by J&J Barbecue. And they're offering their first taste of the new single vineyard Syrahs they're making and some more wines from their collection. There's also a concert by Paul Benoit. Oh, I'm going to have to correct you now. Uh-oh. I got Benoit? you on an enunciation. Benoit? He likes to go by Paul Benoit. Huh. Um, you know, and we all know David Benoit, the jazz artist, yeah. and that's the same spelling. Yeah. But Paul prefers to have it enunciated Benoit. All righty then. And God. he is a wonderful guitar player. I love him. Wow. Really great. We're not, are we going to be around? What's that? 
Are we going to be around? Maybe so. Maybe so. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Wednesday, September 11th, there is a Piedmont truffle dinner at the Tin Table. That's going to be 125 per person, but it includes tax and grat. It's an eight-course meal featuring fresh Piedmont black truffles and, um, I don't know about this, De Marie wines. Looks like De Marie. De Marie. And Paolo De Marie, the winemaker, will introduce his wines. And hand-shaved truffles tableside. That's kind of fun. And even better, if you're a dog lover, he's bringing his Lagotto Ramagnolo. Isn't that great? It probably has nothing to do with Italian. But he's bringing his truffle dogs. So that's going to be fun. Uh, doors open at 6, and dinner begins at 6.30. Now, I got a question. I thought truffle harvest was like in December or something. Is that, did I have that wrong? When's no, it is. truffle festival? It's in like January and February. Yeah. And in fact, I was just talking to Lily Kong, who you know owns um, Pear Kano, and she was talking about a trip they took, and they were too early for truffle uh, in Italy, too early for truffle harvest, so they went to the Truffle University to get their information. Maybe they harvest seeds out of Alaska or something. And, no. and so it's all the global warming stuff just messing <laughs> it's all just the harvest changing everything. Up. I don't know that maybe they. I don't know if you can <coughs> freeze truffles. I do not know. Um, also, also white and black hothouse. <laughs> um, they're they're mixing with those tomatoes. Um, black and white truffles, I believe, may. Uh, come about at different times. They may be ripe, ripened at different times. Mm-hmm. These are black truffles, so maybe they're earlier. Oh, okay. That might be what it is. <clears throat> uh, Thursday. They haven't turned white yet. No, they're two different things. Two different things. Um, Thursday, September 12th, I'm just going to say this because it's all mine. Cooking with class fundraiser at Salty's on Alki. 175 per person, best money you ever spent on food and fun. 6 to 9.45. You get to choose three Northwest chefs to cook with, and in 30 minutes you make the dish hands-on with them, eat it, and pair it with donated wines. And then to go to the next chef. Yes, and the next chef. And in between, we do culinary and travel-related auction and raffle items. So very fun. It is the 12th if you're listening to this early in the month. Um, at the moment, there's a few seats left, but hopefully those will go shortly. Saturday, September 14th, is the Washington Artisan Cheesemakers Festival. I can't believe you had no comment on cooking with class. I love cooking with class. I go every year. Yes. You'll see me running around with a camera. Yes, exactly. And, uh, yeah, definitely, like Connie said, those seats are going fast. Get one one before they're gone because it's a lot of fun. It's big fun. All right, the Washington Artisan Cheesemakers Festival on the 14th. Um, it's artisan and farmstead, farmstead cheese made in Washington. There's over 20 cheesemakers. There's also some other artisan foods and beverages from local pr- producers. And that runs from 1 to 5 and is $40. That seems pretty reasonable. There's a lot of stuff to try there. So, Yeah, four hours, 40 bucks, that's 10 bucks an hour. Yeah, cheap. That's pretty good. Cheap. And you get... You get you get beverages? Wow. Yeah. There's beverages and other artisan foods, so it's not just cheese. Huh. Hey, before I go on, I want to mention that there's one, two, three, four, four events on September 14th. So you're going to have to make Uh-oh. some decisions. See how many you can get in. Yeah. 
This is sort of like how many people can fit in a phone booth or a, how many clowns in a small car. How many events can you do on September 14th? If you make all four, you send us pictures of you at all yeah. four of them, and we will have something special for you. Yeah, and the next one is going to throw a little, little problem in your plan because it takes place in um, Walla Walla. But it's the Harvest Winemaker Dinner at Dunham Cellars with Chef Mauro Gomarvi from Asagio. So maybe you can get a ride over with him, see if he'll give you a lift. Um, it's $135, general public, $125 for wine club members. That includes tax and grat. You get a winery tour at 5.30, and then off you go to a multi-course meal paired with Dunham Wines. Mauro, of course, is doing the meal, and Dunham is located in the airport winery around Walla Walla. Make sure you see the Christmas tree they have there. That's cool. Even though it's not really Christmas because it's up all year. Yep. You don't want to take that tree down. (laughs) That would be heavy. No, 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 no. So the next September 14th is the Bourbon Heritage Dinner. That sounds fun, too, at Daniel's Broiler downtown. That's 125 plus tax and grat, 6 p.m. And they're going to have, I'm going to say Diageo Master, of whiskey, Doug Craigle, um, who's going to be the guest speaker. It's a four-course meal with bullet tin, bullet barrel, barrel strength, blade and bow, and dickel barrel select. So lots of tasty bourbons. Hmm. And your final stop on September 14th is a Southern Comfort Food Cooking Class at Casper's. It's $60, and it runs from 11 to 2. You might do that in an evening one. You don't know. You're going to make biscuits, fried green tomatoes, grits, frog legs, collard greens, garlic prawns, cornmeal coffee cake, honey buttermilk ice cream. If you are not worried about your uh, cholesterol, this is the class to go to. Uh, Now, uh, are you and I leading the uh, frog collection party at 9 a.m. in Discovery Park? Yes, we are. Okay. Did I not tell you that? I'm sorry. (laughs) It's probably because I'm so busy with... Cooking with class he on wants, September 12th. He, want, he requested his frog legs be local. So. <laughs> Organic and local. All right, we're finally moving off to Thursday, September 19th, and it's a Patterson Cellars winemaker dinner at Russell's. His, his dinners are always fun. That's $150 plus fees, but the tax and grat are included. Fees are so like what's tic- the fee? ticket fees. You know, it goes through brown paper or something. Oh, I thought it was like a corkage fee or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Russell's good about those corkage fees. Um, 6.30 to 9.30, winemaker John Patterson will be on hand, and it'll be a five-course dinner created by Russell and each paired with John's wine. And you can't go wrong with Russell. You really can't. He's just a super chef. Yeah, he makes it look easy. Saturday, September 21st, there is a Peruvian cuisine cooking class at Pink Salt. And if you're not quite in the know, Pink Salt is the new Peruvian restaurant in Magnolia. It took over where Smanya's was, and then a couple bought it and lasted maybe a year. I'm not even... They called it Magnolia Bar and Grill or something. Um, They decided that wasn't working for them, and so these guys, who own um, the Italian place... In Magnolia. Oh, okay. They are, they have taken it over and are doing proof. Have you been in yet? No, I have not. I'm wondering if the kitchen's still open. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. That was always kind of nice to sit at the counter and watch them cooking. I always like that. It 
I don't know why you would change that. It's, I mean, it would be costly to do so, and it's, it, it's lovely. We should do a, an article for Seattle Dining about open kitchen restaurants, like yeah. Pomodoro and, and this one, if it's, if it's oh, yeah. still open. I yeah. was like going and sitting in and watching them. Cook. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of restaurants are like that. That got to be a very big thing. Basically, because I'm such a social moron, I have nothing to say to anybody, and I can just keep myself busy watching them cook. Yeah, it's not really social moronic. It's more like you can't hear what anybody's saying, oh, so you true. just don't talk to anybody. <laughs> In any case, Pink Salt is doing a Proving Cuisine cooking class um, on the 21st from 2 to 4 p.m., 85 per person. They're making ceviche clásico with tiger milk. Four Did you get tiger milk from a tiger? I don't think so. Huh. We'll have to look that Can up Can you imagine any tiger allowing that? I don't um, want to go milking no tiger, do you? No, 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 no. I know what my cats do when <laughs> I get near them. Anyway, they're going to do four sauces, arroz con pato, which is duck, and a cookie with dulce, dulce de leche. And in the meantime, you can enjoy a pisco sour. Hmm. Also on the 21st, there's a Harvest Winemaker Dinner. They're next in a series at Dunham Cellars. Um, it's 135 again, 125 for Wine Club, including tax and grat. The same tour of the winery at 5.30, followed by dinner. This multi-course meal is being done by Chef Keith Otter of, I guess it's Fortune's Kitchen in La Quinta, California. I think that's interesting. Not the hotel. Not the motel. No, not not La Quinta. Yeah, the executive chef from La Quinta, (laughs) who does those fabulous breakfast buffets. Yeah. Yeah, that's that Keith. Give he's me something. that biscuit and gravy and the sausage <laughs> thing. I love that. Where is my hard-boiled egg? <laughs> now that we've just done a horrible thing for this poor man, <laughs> that is it. But remember, as Tom said, there are much many more items out on the calendar online at Seattle Dining. So go check it out. All right, we're going to take a little break here, and when we come back, we've got a special guest. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. Hi, my name is Chef Jeremy. I live in Kelowna, British Columbia. When I visit Seattle, one of my favorite things to do is eat lots of shellfish and visit the market. Hi, it's Greg Herschelt from the Como Morning News, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show, and as I said, as we left for the break, we're going to be back with a special guest. Connie's going to tell you who that is. Yeah, I don't feel like it. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Josh is already here. Yeah. Hi. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh, hey. What's You're going right on, here. Guys? Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Josh Wolf, and he is the sales manager for Thurston Wolf Wines. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for... Uh penciling me in. I'm Absolutely. excited to talk yeah. about the winery and uh, what's shaking in Washington. Well, and yeah, and Thurston Wolf has been around how many years? So uh, we 
32 now. We just, we had a 30th anniversary, so 30 plus, um, back in 1987, if you can believe it, when there was like a couple hundred wineries. Exactly. It's it's an iconic wine for, you know, give us a brief history of that, including the name, because I know for a fact that people say things like, I know your dad, Thurston, and that Hmm. is not his name. That's funny. Yeah, (laughs) that, there is some confusion there sometimes. So Thurston Wolf Winery, it was just, um. It's actually so. My full name's Joshua Thurston Wolf. I always think we're super creative naming <laughs> everything, but uh, yeah, Thurston is my um, grandmother's maiden name, and then Wolf is just the uh, grandfather paternal last name. Um, and yeah, a little brief history. Back in '87 is when we started. Um, I was minus three years old at the time, uh, but uh, it started out in actual. Actually, Yakima downtown oh. First Street, so oh, an really? old historic, oh, yeah, an old historic cool. district, and I, I have fond memories of like growing up there and like you know pitter pattering around the winery. But yeah. um, it's actually you know when my parents were starting out, they, you know, my dad predominantly was doing consulting work for mm. you know oh, okay. uh, for wine growers and stuff like that. Um, my mom actually was a manager at a Red Lion hotel. Oh wow! Uh, or did a lot of their event planning, which oddly enough, I did up until a couple of years ago. Oh, so that, I kind of that, that, that Red Lion's still there in in Yakima. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Some it, it's more than you can say for some of the other ones. Yeah, it wasn't out. as seedy as it is now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you go, if you if you stop at a Red Lion, you know. And anywhere in Seattle, it's usually a cheaper price these days. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, regardless, but um, it, it was actually in such an old historic building that it, it used to be, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, a fire department. Oh. And we're talking but early, like, 1980 mm-hmm. or 1890s kind of thing. So they yeah. actually had sta- a horse stable out front oh, where they would gosh. hitch it up and then, I guess roll out uh, yeah, uh, with the water and the... everything that like that. So, yeah, yeah. no, very cute building. We, you know, it, it came... So, like I was saying, my parents, at that time, the winery was a business, but, you know, it, it hasn't gone as full time yeah. as it had now. So, they were still working other jobs, yeah. um, trying to bring in money to get this thing going. So, when we found the historic building, it came at a, a good cost, I uh, think, a good price. Yeah. So, that was kind of the main motivator for that. But, you know, as the years went on, my uh, dad ended up working at Hogue Ranch yeah. or Hogue Cellars. Mm-hmm. And that was about 95 to 96. Wow. And for a while, he was doing a lot of back and forth. And then um, for Yakima, because my, my mom's originally from Yakima. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just decided one day, well, they decided, hey, we, we'll just move to Prosser. Yeah. Um, just be closer. We actually ended up um, moving into. Um, the Hogue's old house. Oh. So we might, that went up for sale. I think it was Wayne Hogue or Gary. It's, yeah. it's hard to remember. There's three of them, two or three of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, and then we ended up bringing the winery over. Of course, uh, the winery, um, ended up going into a, ended up going <laughs> into a little strip mall that was actually right next to Hogue as oh, well. Okay. So Wade would, you know, do his eight hours, maybe 10, depending on what time of the year it was. Cause he was a GM there and then mm-hmm. go right across the street and we <laughs> just his own. Get, get going. Um, wow. yeah. So pretty good work ethic. Um, puts me in shame, makes me feel lazy all the time, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, cause he's still like that. Yeah. It, some things are not going to change. I mean, we, we talk about in the future when he might retire if ever, uh, it's like, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'll be down here <laughs> telling you what to do. <laughs> so funny. So yeah, the, the winery would remain at that area um, for quite a few years. It wasn't until 2008 
that we broke ground at what is now the Vintners Village in Prosser, Washington. Yeah. One of the first wineries, if not the first, I think, to break ground and go in there. Oh, wow. And we're currently and right smack dab in the middle of it. Yeah. And, you know, it's been history ever since, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah, the winery, uh, I kind of think back and, you know, uh, Way was always really interested in working with a lot of dessert wines, things like oh, that. Okay. So we had a black muscat for a long time, um, a Zin Petite Syrah uh, blend that would actually kind of leak out into all of our other wines as well because <laughs> he's a big proponent of those too. Um, but, yeah, when, in 08 when we did break ground, uh, he had – for a long time, been working with Hogue, and you know, Hogue had gotten bought out yeah. at that time around then, and you know, things were difficult to say the least. You know, synergy only goes so far, mm-hmm. so he ended up, you know, parting ways around that same time. And yeah. this was when I kind of feel like, you know, again, the winery was always a business, but this mm-hmm. is when we went, you know, we it was put all on. of our cards into yeah. it. Um, we we always wanted to keep it a family kind of oriented uh-huh. business, so we never you know we had opportunities to get backers from you know different things. Oh, but yeah. the more you partition out your business, the less control you have, and mm-hmm. especially with a lot of the wines that um, my mom and dad make, it, it would be a hard sell. Like there's no way we're ever going to make Chardonnay, you know. Oh. But then you know you get a lot of people's opinions. Oh, it sells really good, but um, no, it's it's yeah. it's been a, it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. And what's the Dislike or not dislike, but why why not Chardonnay? So it kind of goes to Wade's philosophy and now kind of mine. It's like we want to do something different. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I mentioned earlier when there's so many wineries in these days and it's you need to find ways to make yourself stand out. So, mm-hmm. for instance, one of our big white wines for the last couple of years has been our Pinot Gris Viognier blend, mm-hmm. our PGV. Mm-hmm. Um, far as I understand, we're you know, I check the internet every once in a while. We're literally the only ones in the world who make it. So again, that's wow. a, like a nice, cause it, you know, the Pinot Gris, it's got a good standard base acidity, everything like that. Viognier mm-hmm. adds a lot of fruity, you know, tropical notes and stuff like mm-hmm. that really elevates the wine. So that's yeah. just kind of one example of how we want to stand out and do yeah. different things. Now it's one of our biggest sellers. In fact, we, in the last two years, three years now, we ended up going with a new distributor here. Um, shout out to Northwest Beverages. Uh, and they've been doing great work for us. In fact, we're selling out every year wow. now. So we've been adding 25, 30% every year. And it's wow, still, just, still just trying to keep up. Can I buy that at the grocery store or I have to get that at a restaurant only? Uh, the Pinot Gris Viognier, as one of our bigger sellers, you can usually access it in more stores Safeway, Fred Meyers, Kroger's, QFC. Okay. I want to try that. No, it's you know. Good. You brought I, a case with you today. You know, it's you, funny. You? I ended up. <laughs> partitioning out all my uh, bottles that I brought with me to uh, the uh, the developers down in Vancouver because oh, kind yeah. of as a wink and a, yeah. a hug yeah. to them. But I, I can definitely get you guys some stuff. No worries there. Is that We've on your list to talk about, the Vancouver? Uh... That was I just heard about that today, so let's talk about that. Yeah, so That's I'll, exciting. I'll do a little backtracking, you know. Uh, where we are located Prosser is great. You know, it's the heart of Washington wine country. Everything like that, but you know, everyone's especially nowadays opening up auxiliary tasting rooms, looking for the next big spot. So we were approached a little while ago about the waterfront um, by a mutual friend, and they said they were kind of putting more stuff in, and <clears throat> they actually have developed the phase one of the waterfronts, pretty much all done. It's going to be phase one, phase two, and all the properties are filled up. So they got you know uh, hotels, mm-hmm. restaurants, wineries, etc. But where we came in, the development agency that I've been working with, they're going to 
be creating another area to the east side across the, uh, of the river, across from the bridge. And they're kind of thinking, I mean, they already have some stuff in there now. They've got um, condominiums. Um, but what they really want to do is re- on the first floor have retail and restaurants and the second floor kind of do uh, a wine alley kind of That'd thing. That would be so fun. It would be fun. Excuse me. It would be fun. It, it was weird when I was in the meeting. Um, they're like, what do you think? And they're asking like my opinion about all these things. They're like, oh, what winery should we bring? And I was kind of like awestruck because it's it, not my forte, yeah. I guess. But sometimes you just walk into these sorts of things. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, it, we're it's slated for – you know, in the next two to three years, maybe going forward, and I'm going to be shopping around uh, for Eastern Washington area, seeing who else might be interested, because yeah. I feel like, you know, people sometimes ask, like, uh, even I was having a conversation the other day, it's like, oh, well, do you want more wineries going? It's like, of course you do. You yeah. want you want a draw for everyone, because everyone's going to want something different, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, varietals, price points, things yeah. like that. But yeah, and you know, maybe mix in some breweries, a distillery or yeah. two, but I think it'll be uh, really advantageous. I mean, you're looking at all... All of Portland and, you know, from a marketing standpoint, at least Washington, Oregon. Oregon's a hard market to work around it, especially Washington. I mean, they're very proud of their wine. They kind of, you know, stand by it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've had experiences where you go into wine shops and you really got to work a little bit harder to get that uh, product in there. It's like you've really got to do something to stand up. And they make outstanding wine. So, you know, competition breeds, I think, success for everybody. So well, let, let's do a little rundown of where all – I know you have multiple tasting rooms. Tell me where they all are. Uh, actually, just the one. Just the it? one currently, you know, oh, if you I believe you it or not. Oh, I thought you had Walla Walla at one point. Mm-mm. No, no. We sell a good amount of wine Walla Walla, but uh, no no facility oh, as okay. of yet. But, you know, it's interesting to bring that up because that is, you know, whether I, – I live in Spokane most of the time now, but you'd be mm-hmm. shocked how many wineries are going in Spokane, how many really? auxiliary tasting rooms. Everybody's trying to find the next – big spot whether yeah. it's you know woodenville some would say i would say that there's a lot of wineries there already so yeah. you know let's try and branch out let's let's find some new spots so walla walla is always a big popular spot um a lot of fantastic wines out there uh really good reputation so it makes a lot of sense but again i think walla walla it's it's good but it's you know we when you be where the people are yeah. that's what we're that's what my kind of focus is going to be at least for the next couple of yeah. years well and when you're talking about something like this new vancouver washington waterfront deal they're really making it. It is a, a village. I mean, with the condos and hotels and restaurants and everything. So, you're bringing in people who have the money to buy, who are interested in wine. Um, it seems like a a good connection. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, believe it or not, the more time I spend in Portland, the more. Guess what wine's really popular right now in Portland? Oh, no, in Portland. Yeah. And it's what, not a Pinot Noir. No, no. Well, let's uh, uh, go by region. So what? Oh. What what country or what's really popular? What, what would you think? I'm thinking in Vancouver or in Portland. Yeah, Portland. Eclectic group Long there. Island. You know, uh, for a while there was a little bit of that, but Spain. Spanish Spain, wines are Spanish what wines. are very hot right now, yeah. and especially you can get in some lighter, more organic things and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, And that's just another testament because you never know what's going to work yeah. anywhere, but that's the fun of it. You know. And also, it changes. Next year it'll be Italian, or next yeah, year it'll be maybe, Washington. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you could do a Albarino Viognier. You know what's? It's, I'm glad you bring that up. We actually do have an Albarino that we've been Ooh. doing for uh, uh, the last couple. Well, I think it's been like five years now. Um, won us best of white at the Washington State Wine Competition that's held in the Valley there. So that was exciting. Um, yeah. one, all the, from what they told me, 
it lost out on Best of Show by one vote. So I'm still going to really? find that person. Yes. You know, Ring that. Be like, what, 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 uh, but actually, a Grenache one out of um, oh. Bainbridge Island. Where are you getting those grapes yeah. from? So, yeah, uh, Albarino, which is a, you know, a new up-and-coming white grape, very exciting. I think mm-hmm. it has a lot of um, very nice attributes, sort of the, the, uh, the feel of Chardonnay, but with the fruitier tones or kind of Riesling, which is, again, mm-hmm. something we've always wanted to work with. We don't want plain Jane wine. Um, the Albarino we're currently getting from Crawford Vineyards, which is located in the Yakima oh, okay. Valley, and my parents' uh, house out there is actually you know, oh. a country mile away from them, and I oh. went to school with their son. So it's, it's always nice, nice having these, you know... Um, Family connections. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. It's more so, than just business. Uh, most of our wine, I mean, all of our wines come from, you know, the Yakima Valley, okay. Columbia Basin, um, AVA, obviously, okay. but um, Horse Heaven Hills predominantly for our reds. And then when we get more specific, the Zephyr Ridge vineyards for, I think, some of our, you know, highest quality wine. Um, of course, we get some uh, Cabernet from Destiny Ridge, which is, you know, Alexandria and the Cole Winery. And then a good amount out of Snipes Mountain and the New Houses Vineyard as well. That um, While I'm tuning my own horn about the Albarino, we had a Petit Verdot that actually did win Best of Show oh, at wow. the Bellingham Wine Festival, and oh. that was very exciting. They were toying with us the entire time, saying, like, hey, you guys might have done pretty good. You know, set aside uh. some of this Petit Verdot for us. And, yeah, and that actually ended up we, – we only do – 60 cases of it so it sold oh, out wow. i think uh, just two days ago i love petite Verdot. yeah and it, it's it's fun and, and i guess you know more of a testament to what i was mentioning earlier it's like we're trying to work with lesser known varietals i mean petite, petite Verdot is well known but i mean as a hundred percent it's yeah it's usually you don't a see good it all blending grape and stuff yeah. like that um and then i can go on and our, my personal favorite i love petite syrah mm. i think it's just kind of grown on me over the years and we have a hundred percent varietal of that from our Zephyr Ridge vineyard. It's that rich oh. kind of tobacco-y Ooh. leathery and then kind of moves over to blueberry. But I, I think from my standpoint, at least when I'm outside in the market working around, I love working with the wines that we have because yeah, they set themselves off and they're different. Mm-hmm. And especially with, um, we have a Dr. Wolf's family red blend, which has been, you know, with our PGVs are probably second biggest seller. It, it changes over the years, but predominantly it's always Zin, which we use in almost everything. It feels like Zin, Petit Sirah, and a little bit of Limburger. Mm. So, or Blau Francis, depending on what people want to call it. But, you know, there's probably less than, I don't know, just like 10 acres of Limburger. Oh, wow. Maybe even less than that in Washington. I don't know. But it's always fun to wow. kind of. Limburger was one, it actually kind of has an interesting past. Um, my dad worked with Walter Clore uh-huh. during his uh, tenure at Chateau St. Michel back oh, in the okay. 70s. So I guess probably worth mentioning from a historical standpoint. Yeah. But yeah, he, he, Wade came up from, uh, finished up at UC Davis, uh, came up to Washington, got a job as you know, a vitnologist uh, over with Chateau St. Michel, um, worked with Walter Clore. And Walter Clore's favorite grape was always this Limburger Blau Frankish. Oh. And I think uh, my dad's really taken that to heart. And, you know, till we made this is our it, 17th vintage of it. Oh, wow. It's a really good grape. And it's, it does really well here in Washington State. And I'm surprised more people don't grow it. I only know of, I think, three people who ever grew it. Paul Shampoo grew it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Badger Mountain had Badger it. Badger Mountain had it for a while, and Kiona had it Kiona, for a while. Kiona was the big one. Yeah. And, it's like, and that's oh, the only yeah. ones I know of. Mm-hmm. But it's so good, and you, you, you pair that up with a nice piece of grass-fed beef. Mm. 
Mm-mm. Yeah, you're, you'll you'll never come back from that one. Yeah, so yeah, I think the Limburger does really well because it does have you know it's richer, has some more spicy characteristics, which mm-hmm. I think blend in pretty well with the Zinfandel, and that's why we've you know we've stuck to our guns on it, and yeah. it's always you know developed. And we actually do a Limburger Rose, believe it or not, mm-hmm. among Ooh, other things. Good. That one's um, exclusively sold out of the tasting good. room. But yeah, wow. you know between that, the PGV, you know we're always trying to work on what could be the new big thing and that's um albarino is the mm-hmm. one we're very excited about um it's you know it's delicious works really well seafoods everything you know has a nice uh, spiciness to itself uh, yeah. as well and good salinity so you know we're trying to yeah. see what's going to be coming down the pipeline that was one of my other questions was are there grapes that have sort of historically not been grown here but could be grown here well that you're looking at from you know from my perspective as not necessarily professional but it seems like we can grow anything in washington you know we don't have we have have we figured out what exactly grows here amazingly i mean i think we could all agree that cabernet's you know uh, going gangbusters here mm-hmm. among everything else but you know it, it is we do we don't have the historic you know hundreds of years yeah. of, you know playing it out but i yeah, think with, i think we're still figuring it out 100 percent. i mean there's there's so many different uh, a lot of biodiversity, at least in our area. I mean, look no farther than the Horse Heaven Hills. You I mean you're, or you're, you're getting such a unique thing because we have more, uh, you know, compared to Napa, we have more heat units. We have two extra mm-hmm. hours of sunlight. Um, the Columbia River right there is providing good airflow, so it's keeping you know pest rot and everything else mm-hmm. like that down. And it's just it's freaking hot. So you're, <laughs> I mean, if you look at like 2014, 2015, I mean, I think this year is going to be a little, a little bit lighter. We kind of cool down here. Um, but if you look back in like 2014 as a great example, um, you know, we were looking at a hundred degree days mold- wow. for weeks, mm-hmm. weeks yeah. straight. And, and, and as everybody knows, it's like the more stress you can put your grapes under, I think the, you know, the better the product's going to be, mm-hmm. the tannin structure, acidity is going to be richer, more balanced, and it's going to provide a lot of like hidden treasures, I guess, yeah. out of the grapes. Yeah. Oh, God, it makes me want to go open a bottle of wine. Oh, man. So what made you decide to, um come back into the family business because you were doing something at Red Lion. Yeah. Um, and, I, and and are you sticking with this? Is this, are you, it's the family business? And It's a great question. Um, 100% very, I mean, I, I always had aspirations to uh, come back home and get back into the family business. It mm-hmm. just took a while because I can remember when I was, to be honest with you, when I was younger, you know, I was working in the winery when I was six years old, seven yeah. years old. And Time it kind of, it kind of wears on you a little bit, and uh, I really look back on it now, and I actually think it was a great experience because you know it taught me you know how to work, you know how yeah. to put the effort in, and you know. But my main reason I, I went to WSU from 08 to 13, and I graduated with a degree in hospitality business management, and I wanted I always kind of had in the back of my head I'll probably go back to the winery and you know continue on mm-hmm. that, but I wanted some experience outside of yeah. that to kind of expose myself to how corporate idea. structure and everything else works yeah. and, you know, manage, employee management. Mm-hmm. But, but you still ride your skateboard through the tank room, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's a segue it's now. It's hilarious but... you mentioned that. Yeah, I tried skateboarding when I was in high school. Never never <laughs> really got the well. hang of it. Yeah, I got a lot of bruises, but uh, nothing, nothing else. But... Are you at all interested in making wine, or are you on the business side of it always? I am pre- I'll, I'll leave that to the professionals. Uh, oh. When they need me to come in and try the wine, I will more, <laughs> more than happy come and check. And you have friends. Yeah, we, we have friends. We have people <laughs> in high places that have, I imagine, good palates and good opinions. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'll, 
leave that up to Wade. He's the master. He's been yeah. doing all these years. But, I mean, he, we, we do have some sort of successionary plans. Um, Chris Wright has been our system winemaker for a good amount of years now. Okay. He's out of uh, he's a geologist that came out of um, uh, uh, some of the wine programs, and he's been fantastic. Oh, great. Really great. Uh, help he has. He, he was actually a wine club member years oh, before. Funny. So it is, you know, when you look towards the future of like, well, who's going to be making your wine? Because, you know, yeah. Wade can't do it till he's 100. I mean, he'll try. <laughs> but uh, you got to look to the future. you got to find, I think, people that share your kind of aspirations yeah. and, you know, where your wine stylistically mm-hmm. wants to go. And Chris does a great job with that. He's all on board. But, you know, in the, in the next six or seven years, we'll definitely be putting our feelers out, seeing, you know, who's mm-hmm. going to be coming up. Out of you know whether it's Walla Walla yeah. uh, vitnology programs or any of the winemaking things, even WSU now also has a winemaking program. Yeah. So it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah it is see. exciting. All right, Josh, it was so nice having you here. We really appreciate you coming over from the east side. Thank you. Yeah, I always you know like a chance to see the ocean. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah, it gets exactly. a little dry over there, especially Spokane's pretty arid. More yeah. information is at the thurstonwolf.com website? It is the thurstonwolf.com website. Um, re- we're going to be actually renovating the website here and the new stylistic one's going to be up in a couple of weeks, oh, so that's really? kind of exciting. That's new uh, ease of access, so yeah, people can reach out to us there, Facebook, um, we're getting the Instagram oh. account going up here with some pretty All cool right. posts, so yeah, we're in the 21st century now. Feels, <laughs> feels, Moving feels on. Good. But uh, yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thank right. you. All right, we'll take a little break, and when we come back, I think we've got some tips and tricks. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Revolve True Food and Wine Bar in Bothell, where a passion for wellness, wonderful food, and good wine infuses everything they do. All menu items are free of gluten, grains, preservatives, trans fats, GMO, and soy. Enjoy wild seafood, organic farm fresh eggs, and seasonal organic produce. Find them at revolvefoodwine.com. Hi, my name is Lisa. I live in Redmond, Washington, and one of my favorite restaurants in the Redmond area is the Woodblock Restaurant. One one of the reasons I like it is they have great drinks, half price on wines on Monday nights, and I really enjoy the menu. Uh, They change it quite often, and uh, it kind of reflects the local area. Hi, this is Jillian from Town & Country Markets, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. With the Seattle Dining Show, you're here with Tom and Connie, and we're about to end the show, but as you know, we like to end it with some tips and tricks. What are you thinking about this month? So, uh, Brian, our announcer, who opens the show for us each time, uh, always tells our listeners that uh, we're going to have some tips and tricks and uh, maybe some recipes, and Mm. so my tip today is a recipe. Oh. I'm going to tell you how to make my rub. Oh, and boy. it's really simple, and then you can expand on it from there. But uh, this is a rub that you can use on chicken, you can use it on beef, you could use it on fish. Mm. Uh, it's going to be equal parts of brown sugar, salt, pepper, and paprika. 
and then use that as the base and have a little fun. Maybe put a little chili powder in. Maybe put uh, a little cinnamon in. Uh, if you're going like Middle Eastern, maybe you could put some clove or some cardamom in. But that makes a nice base, and then you can uh, you can play around from there. You did um, some cinnamon and chili a couple weeks ago, and oh my goodness. Yeah, that was, that was so quite good. good. We did that on beef tenderloin. Yep, yep. it was really, really good. Um, I'm thinking about dining out, and one, and we've gone to a couple new places lately and talked to somebody who we had gone to when it was new and hadn't gone back because it was not a very good experience. And one of the things that always comes out is give new places some time to settle in before making a final decision. So it is really fun to go when something's new. You don't want to stop doing that because, of course, you got to give them some customers. But uh, support them. But if you think they're not up to snuff, and if it's something really bad, tell them. But if you're just thinking, eh, they don't really have it, go back in three months and see what you think. Mm-hmm. Gives them time to work out their changes, figure out what's working and what isn't. You know, maybe it's a new neighborhood for them, and neighborhoods differ. You know, people want different stuff. So, and especially, they have to get the right crew in. Sometimes people put a staff together, and it is dynamite from day one. And sometimes it just does not mesh, but they have to open. So, you know, over time, they get their team together. So all those things uh, add in, and then you might go back and find it may be your new favorite place. Like, don't go back a week later, but no, no, I'm like talking six three months. months or a year, three months. I was saying, yeah, okay. Minimum three months, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, it is time to wrap up our September show. Thanks for joining us. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it is free to do so. Just visit seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. All righty. We will see you back here in October. October, our birthday months. The big, birthday big, month. big party on, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner. All right. However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music of Fremont Icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Dog House, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.